Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I found another great podcast for you. It's called Standby for Places. Take old-time radio shows and replace the Jack Benny show with some of the greatest plays of all time, and you get Standby for Places. The team at Standby for Places doesn't just get regular people like me to read these plays. They have professional actors and directors perform the play like it would be performed on stage. You can tell that everyone involved really cares about the production of every play performed for Standby for Places. I've listened to A Christmas Carol, and I'm getting ready to cue up the importance of being earnest. I think of Standby for Places as not so much a podcast, but more like Broadway for your earbuds. I'm a podcast aficionado, and I can say I've never heard anything with the production value of Standby for Places. Check this out if you've never been able to see great plays by playwrights like Oscar Wilde, or if you'd like to revisit them while doing your yoga session. Standby for Places is a great podcast to help you embrace the beauty of creativity and can be found on all the podcast apps. You know what I'm going to say here. It's a good one. My guest tonight is an attorney and a comedian. He is a regular at Laugh Factories and Zanies across the country and was named as one of the 40 best stand-up comedians by Stand Up Seats. As if that wasn't enough, he's also the host of Singles Only and Mixtape Podcast. Folks, it's Paul Farivar. Hey, guys. Over there. How you doing, Paul? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So first of all, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, a suburb called Oak Brook, Illinois. Okay. Uh, so, But I've been in Chicago most of my life. Okay, great. And um, let's talk about the first time you did stand-up. When was the first time you did stand-up? So the first time I did uh, stand-up officially was at uh, an open mic a venue called Merkel's. It was an open mic. Um, they had a contest and, uh, that was about, um, I believe April will be, uh, 10 years ago. Oh, wow. So I, I did the contest and, uh, and then they, uh, they asked me to come back and host it. So I took it over and oh, we wow. made it into a, one of the longest running, it was a great open mic called two and a half Persians at Merkel's uh-huh. in Chicago ran for a while. It was a contest we had real crowds, so it was pretty fun. <laughs> That's something to say for an open mic. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was fun. Like we had we had uh, we had guest um, hosts, or I'm sorry, guest judges. Uh-huh. And the judges were always like attractive men and women that we knew who had a lot of followers. So then their their friends would come, right? And then eventually the hosts or the judges used to ended up being bookers at comedy clubs. So a lot of comedians are doing like their best stuff at uh-huh. this open mic. So it's kind of funny where, uh, you know, instead of people trying, you know, to write stuff or try new stuff, 
they'd end up doing their best stuff to try to get booked at, you know, comedy bar or Zanies or laugh factory. So it was kind of fun. Right. That's neat because you were using influencers before the name influencers came yeah. out. <laughs> we were at the time, me and uh, my other host, uh, Chris Bader, we, uh, we were, we were pretty smart about that. We were like, let's, and, cause if someone, we gave them free alcohol or free food right. as judges. And then, uh, I mean, it was an easy sell because they got to, you know, see 25 comedians do three minutes or four minutes. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, comedians forget sometimes, you know, for us, open mics are, uh, you know, work, but for other people, it's, it's sometimes it's interesting, yeah. especially with a, a hot room. Yeah. So. And it's different. I, you know, I've done, I've done plenty of open mics where it's just me and the other comics and. I've done some where there's real audiences too, and it's yeah. a totally different vibe. And yeah. and you don't want to try your new stuff when it's a nice audience. <laughs> well, you should still try it. They say the, the yeah, the I know. But, you know, obviously, when you have a hot crowd, you're like, man, yeah, it's, it's hard not to prove like, hey, I'm funny. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You want to bring out the hits, and sure. uh, yeah, I've I've done both and uh, fall on my face a few times both ways, so whatever um so who were your influences as far as comedians who did you like growing up uh well growing up i really loved uh, eddie murphy and mm. chris rock uh i didn't think i'd ever go into comedy i just liked them a lot uh my older brother got me into uh eddie murphy and uh i actually found like old cassette tapes of of andrew dice clay so apparently i had a dice stage as well but mm-hmm. uh <laughs> when I was really young. Um, I liked uh, I liked Robin Williams as well. Uh-huh. Um, but um, those are the comedians that like uh, I grew up watching. I grew up watching Eddie Murphy. I memorized all of his stuff, and same with Chris Rock. And mm. then when I started doing comedy, or right before I did comedy, um, I got more into like um, I would say like Gary Gullman and uh, and Jim Gaffigan early on. Mm-hmm. So those are like some of the comics I like. As well. Right. Cool. Now, um, you are the second uh, attorney comedian I've talked to. Oh, so okay. obviously the attorney thing probably came first. Yeah. I, so I don't, pra- as of this year, I'm not practicing anymore. I still had a law firm up until okay. March. But uh, yeah, I, I, w- I, I still have a law degree and I still uh, have a license to practice. Just I just don't do it anymore. Uh-huh. So before. you're you're headlong into the comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right before COVID, I closed my office and because uh, I was I was uh, booked up solid uh, for shows, and then I, I had a job as a writer on another show, and so I was like, I, I can't really be responsible for clients. I felt you know right. I wouldn't be there and I get in trouble. So I closed my office, and then COVID hit definitely <laughs> my whole schedule and some of my opportunities. Yeah. Start opening up again, and you know now we're now we're just back at trying to figure out what's what's going on. Right, so. it does feel a lot like starting over, you know. Yeah, it's it's a lot harder. You know, you, in Florida, I was doing some shows, I was getting some momentum, and you know, getting a regular run of shows, and then you know, it's hard for me, especially because I write on stage, and uh, mm-hmm. it's harder for me um, to write. You know to all these new bits and the zoom stuff zoom shows are fun too but it's just not the same right after you've done real shows for like a couple weeks yeah no doubt (laughs) 
Yeah, I just did uh, probably the first fun Zoom show I've done this weekend in a while. Uh, you know, I've done Zoom shows. I can't say they're all fun, but you know, I've there was actually an audience, just like the open mics. Um, yeah. So, so this uh, question is takes us off off pace a little bit, but uh, I always like to ask people if they're uh, reading anything, listening to anything, um, just anything, uh, podcast, magazine, anything that's given you some inspiration. Do you have anything like that going on? Yeah. Uh, so I, I read a lot. I read a lot of biographies and uh, autobiographies. The Tom Dreesen book you have behind you, mm. I read that last month. I had Tom on my show, uh, Stuck with Paul. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, I, I like I, re- I like reading books like that. I'm reading. I want my MTV right now. Uh-huh. The MTV era. Uh, Tom Papa's book. I read Judy Gold's book uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and then I, I just bought Jerry Seinfeld's uh, new book. Uh, With all the bits. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what it was. I thought I was like, oh wow, he's going to tell about himself, but yeah. Of <laughs> No, he never does that. <laughs> yeah, so those are the kind of things I like to read. Those I, I'm I'm reading. I like to read biographies of or not biographies of people, whether it's comedy or anything. Uh, I just I get inspiration from that because I like to hear people's journeys, wh- mm-hmm. whatever it is that they've done. Um, I, I I've always been in, in involved in in reading biographies. So great. I, I'm glad you mentioned Tom because he was actually my first guest, and yeah, uh, we. He he's like my idol. He's I, I used to watch him on Mike Douglas and Dinah Shore and yeah. Carson, uh, and he was like the first comic I ever really paid attention to when I was like nine or ten years old. And so all through the years, he's been my guy. And you know, I like Letterman and all that too. But he's always been the one that I say that is my inspiration for comedy. And we had a conversation. Uh, before I had him on the show and I, you know, I, I'm telling him a joke that he said on Mike Douglas and I totally got it wrong. And, and he said, no, it goes like this. And he says, I haven't said this joke for 30 years, but this is how it goes. And uh, so we did that. And yeah. then he agreed to be on the show and I actually did a special show for him for the launch of his book too. So that was fun. Yeah. I, I got to, to open for him uh, quite a bit. Uh, when I first started, when I first got past the laugh factories in Chicago and in, they had a Scottsdale location in Arizona mm. and I got to do some shows with them. He was, he gave such great advice. Uh, he's so funny off stage too. Yeah. Like people don't realize how, uh, you know, he's such a clean comic. Yes. And <laughs> off stage, he's not. And it's yeah. fun to like, you're like, Holy, you know, you see this guy who's like, you're, you know, a father figure to you and, and he's saying these, yeah. these things. But um, yeah, he always gave me great advice, and and I saw him uh, the first time I did a comedy show where he got uh, standing ovate, where I saw the comedians get standing ovations at the end. Mm-hmm. I've seen since, but yeah, that was the first time I saw it on a consistent basis. Yeah, um, I got him. I got to see him do the Sinatra show uh, right before COVID hit, so that was that was a neat oh, show. Sure. I, uh, it's funny you talk about how he is off stage. We, the show I was doing with him was a live show and I brought a bunch of surprise guests into the room and I didn't want to completely surprise him. So I brought them in before we went live and he, he went on this, this rant 
and said all the words. I'm not going to say what he said because I don't want to attribute it to him. And I was just like, I wish I was recording this, not to tell anybody, but just for me so I could play it back. (laughs) It's funny because, you know, that a lot of those, I've gotten to work with a lot of clean comedians. um, And it's so fun to, to just, I mean, it's always fun to hang out with, you know, these people that you look up to and just be in the same room with, with them in a mm. personal setting. But just just some of the stuff you hear some of these comedians off stage say, you're like, wow, like I can't believe so-and-so is, is, is yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's fun. And, uh, you know, I, I've gotten, the, I, the one great thing about doing comedy is just you get to do shows with or even, you know, podcast yeah. or whatever with all these people you look up to. Yeah. It's so, you know, it's hard to not, as a fan of comedy, it's really hard to not, you know, fan out sometimes. Right. right. And it's really great how Tom is great with everybody he talks to. He's, He's great. Yeah. Anybody that will talk to him and will listen, he'll take time for him. He's a cool guy. So cool. And the book is great, too. Highly recommend it. It is. It is. I've uh, read through it twice now. Yeah. That's why I've got it here by me all the time. Um, I'm actually reading uh, Rob Halford's autobiography, um, Confess. And that's one of the things from my teenage years I can't get rid of being a Judas Priest fan. And uh, it's it's actually pretty good. I mean, he he had a, a actually a pretty good childhood, but, uh, you know, he he really had a, a family that, you know, they were just pretty much working poor and um, the stuff that he went through is interesting and the stuff he went through with the band is too. So it's a, it's a pretty cool autobiography. Yeah. I, uh, I'll have to check it out. I, I wasn't a huge Judas Priest fan. I, I got, we had a guest on our make us a mixtape podcast who, who was a big Judas fan and uh-huh. I tried to listen to it again. But <laughs> I tend to listen to softer stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, you had to have listened to it when you were like 16 or I don't, I, I don't think somebody that's an adult can go back and listen yeah. to that catalog and it has to be kind of a nostalgia thing for you. Well, yeah, we talk, uh, Marty DeRosa and I have a podcast, make us a mixtape where we talk about how, whatever you listen to in high school, uh, kind of like influences your music forever. Yeah. Oh, unless you like outgrow it. Like if you were, yeah. you know, a big stoner and you stop smoking pot, you know, grateful that's not going to make as much sense to you or, right. or, or whatever. But I think the only band that I outgrew from my teenage years was the doors. Uh, I, okay. you know, I had a Jim Morrison poster right yeah. by my Debbie Harry poster. And yeah. uh, I just love the doors. I listen to them all the time. And now if the doors come on, I just turn it off. It's just, yeah. I, I can't even listen. We have a thing for that on the mixtape podcast where, there's certain songs where you just hit your limit. It's like, okay, I can't, whatever the number is, like 1,037. Yeah. It's like you've heard, you know, uh, you've heard Morrison Hotel, the last, it's like, that's it. Yep. Had, <laughs> and I, I feel the same way about a lot of, like a lot of Led Zeppelin and, uh, you know, certain bands. I just can't like Pearl Jam. I can't, I can't listen to that. Anymore. Yeah. Now, have you ever done a Led Zeppelin bit, though, saying that they're overrated and you don't like them? No, but I did talk about them on the podcast, and we got a lot of hate mail. I was going to say, I've I've tried a bit, because uh, I'm, I'm one of those, too, that 
I think they're. I like them. I just don't. I can't listen to them. Yeah, I think they're okay. I think they were a good band and they did some good stuff, but they're totally overrated in my book. And then I tried to do a few jokes that way, and I'm going to get hate mail now. But uh, I um, tried to do some jokes that way, and I tried to soften them, and I got booed every single time. It just doesn't work. Yeah, you got to It's hard to pull something like that's just kind of one of those things. There's certain bits where you do them enough time where you know, you know when it's coming, where you're going to say something that's going to anger people. And yeah. you, just to, you have to just fight through it. Yeah. And I do it right now where I know, I know when I do it in certain areas, it's going to get people. Pissed yeah. off. Um, but you know, you just got to lean into it. Yeah. You got to do it later in the set once you've already established. Yeah. Well, I'm just putting that in my list of stuff to do that I know pisses people off. And when I'm in a place where I know I'm not going to win, I'll just go through all that material and make them hate me even more. Yeah, you know? that's good too. Yeah. A reaction is a reaction. If it's visceral and they throw shit at you, it's still good. It's still good. That means <laughs> yeah. they, they took the time to buy something to throw it at you. Yeah. What album or special would you consider to be your all-time favorite? And I, I let people do three since it's hard to pin down one. Um, I think that, uh, well, Eddie Murphy raw was probably one of my favorites growing up. Uh, I would, I, I haven't listened to it in a while, so I don't know how well it holds up, but I know that that changed my life. Mm. Um, Chris rock, uh, bigger and blacker is another one. Um, and then I would say, uh, I would say, um, John Mulaney's new in town. Mm-hmm. or uh the the great depression with gary gullman those are all ones i think you said three but i picked four so yeah, those are the good. four i would say that uh are my favorites um throughout my life different different eras eddie murphy was when i was super young under mm-hmm. you know middle school um grade school chris rock was high school um you know new in town and gary gullman are now like mm-hmm. my life you know, so all good, all good choices, good stuff. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about starting 10 years ago when you're still an attorney and um, you, you, you wrote that your parents weren't too happy about the whole comedy thing. And what, what did your colleagues think about you doing the stand-up? Um, my parents are still in denial. Uh, yeah. Mike, <laughs> um, a lot of lawyers, I didn't really have a lot of lawyer friends. I did music, but I was a musician too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everyone was kind of like curious as to see what would hold up because I had different evolve evolutions in my life where I was a musician and a band manager and booker. Mm-hmm. Then I became a lawyer. Um, so people are like, all right, well, what's this new stage? So People were supportive. I think uh, now colleagues, most lawyers want to get out. Like they dream of leaving uh, law. Yeah. I actually liked being a lawyer. It wasn't like I, j- I was, I was burned out a little bit, but a lot of it was just this comedy just took over mm. my life. And, uh, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, most people were, like surprise because it's a little different but also lawyers musicians everybody kind of always wants they always lawyers definitely want to do comedy or music 
uh, musicians want to be comedians, comedians want to be musicians. So the, those, those aspects of my life were kind of like envious and like rooting for me. You mm-hmm. know, they were all, this is cool. Like, I wish I could do what you're doing. Yeah. 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 It's a definitely a special talent. And, uh, so thinking about the fact that you did that open mic and then you ended up getting to be a host for it. So did a fair amount of success come to you fairly early then? It, I felt like it did uh, just because I was so comfortable being on a stage. So I was, I was already what one booker said to me when they passed me at the club was they said, you already are very comfortable on stage and mm-hmm. you're likable on stage but you're not writing good, funny stuff, but we're uh-huh. still going to you because we think you will get there. Yeah. So those things were easier. So I got a lot of opportunities that way. Um, and I was a good host. So a lot of comedy clubs need hosts. Right. And I liked being a host. I, I preferred being a host to, you know, just writing material because as a host, you can go weave in and out of a crowd and, uh, and do whatever you could. So so I think I got a lot of opportunities that way. Um, my home club Laugh Factory uh, made me the, ho- they knew I wanted to host, so they made me the host of the Laugh Factory's open mic, mm-hmm. um, which was a weekly gig. It was it was awesome. It was fun. And then I started hosting on the regular there. Um, so I think I got a lot of opportunities because of the fact that my background as a musician, my background as a trial lawyer helped me be comfortable on stage. Right. Um, before other people I think would be um, but then I think like once I got to a certain level I felt like I didn't it took me a long time to become a headliner yeah I'm just now getting more opportunities as a headliner yeah so yeah I that's one thing I noticed that uh, the thing that new comics work on the least is their delivery and their stage presence because they don't know what that is yet and being a professional and and really if you've got any amount of life experience then you the stage is a little bit more familiar to you because you just been through stuff you know and uh i guess that's young comedians i would recommend that you look at what comedians do and pause it and look at it again and pause it and look at it again to understand what real stage presence is and that's that's like 90% of it when you're starting. Yeah. yeah I, I think I was fortunate enough where I had that, uh, not maybe not the stage presence that I have, I developed later, but I had a lot of the things that put me ahead of a lot of people that were, you know, two years in, like I was uh, early on. And then the writing kind of, you know, you find your voice as you perform. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, I think I think I would say I, I came out of I came out really strong and I got a lot of opportunities early, but then I was stagnant for a long time too. Yeah. Like where yeah. the level from feature or you know to get to the headline level, it took a while. And yeah, COVID and being hit. a feature used to be a uh, really comfortable position too. Oh, it's the greatest position. <laughs> yeah. it's the easiest job. I mean, I I'm a feature for I get to feature for a lot of bigger names so it's kind of fun uh-huh. but then uh you know you start realizing when you start headlining like oh yeah it's not the same right yeah <laughs> check the check drop still like i 
every time I'm ready to, to handle it, I, I, I don't, I uh, still screw it up. Yeah. That's, that's a trouble for a lot of people when they headline. Yeah. yeah that's uh, it's hard to work through that. Now you, it looks, I've watched a lot of your tape uh, and well, I watched a lot of your video. I'm old, but uh, I watched a lot of those and it looks like uh, crowd work is a pretty common thing with you. Does, is that part of your act like all the time? Uh, so I, I don't like to put a lot of the jokes that I'm still doing on stage online. Mm. So I am putting a lot of the crowd work, but I would mm. say, uh, I typically work off a of crowd energy mm. and, uh, and sometimes to figure out what, what, where that is, I go into the crowd. Mm. Uh, I try not to do a lot of crowd work sometimes. It's just kind of, I would say it's a, you know, some shows it's a big part of the show, but other times I remember the last few shows where I did in Florida, uh, I didn't do any crowd work. Mm. Uh, and then I was like 45 minutes into my set. I was like, wow, I'm almost done. Ah. Like, and uh, I still needed to, you know, do the last 10 minutes and I had done almost everything in my set. And I usually, I, I never get to that level because I do so much crowd work. So, mm. so you said that you do a lot of writing on stage can you yeah. walk me through that? So my process, what I do before COVID would, uh, I would write a outline of a joke, a premise, and kind of like a couple tags. And here, like, here's an example of like how I write. Mm -hmm. I'll write an outline and then circle the bit, um, the name of the bit, and then just like have like a couple things that are going out of there. But then I work out the, the, the beats on stage. Mm -hmm. So if I have a joke about, you know, masks, like I have a new joke that I'm doing about wearing a mask, um, sometimes I'll write it on Facebook and see how it does uh, as a status or a tweet. Um, and that doesn't really work for my style because I'm more of a storyteller anyway. But um, then I'll then I'll try it live on stage and then I'll just work. I'll work. I'll, I'll the brain will just just it'll be like free form thinking and i'm recording all my sets to see where the laughs are and mm -hmm. nine out of ten of the times where i'm trying to get out of a joke that pressure uh gets me to a funny bit uh-huh closer or a funny beat whatever it is but um that's how i write and i and i try to do it on zoom but it's just a little harder yeah um, but yeah usually that's that's been my way of writing. And then I go back, listen to it. Then I incorporate what I wrote on stage into actual writing it. Mm -hmm. Then I try it again and then I try it again and then I try it again. And then you've, you've, you cut out the fat and you, you, you know, you get a joke. Right. So if you're doing 45 minutes, how much of that 45 would you say is working out new stuff? Well, no, when I'm headlining, I try not to, before COVID, I would never do, I would maybe do like one, Mm -hmm. maybe four minutes of new stuff in a 45 minute set. Mm -hmm. But now because you don't have that stage time as much, you know, I would say there's more of that. There's maybe five, 10 minutes of new material. But what I would do before COVID was I'd write these ideas or the premises out. I'd go to uh, laugh factory and Zanies here in Chicago have these Tuesday shows where you do, you're not, they're not paid spots. Sometimes they're paid spots, but you're just doing, you know, five, 10 minutes mm -hmm. working out stuff. And, uh, 
and then do another show like an independent room on a Wednesday or Thursday, still work out those shows, work out the kinks. And then, you know, that weekend, if I'm touring or if I'm doing a show somewhere, that's where I would get to the more polished level. of. Mm. Do you wish? Yeah, it is. It's different now because, you know, and I just wrote about this on uh, my LinkedIn, you know, we, I used to go up seven to 10 times a week. And uh, I had a system down where, you know, I could go to an open mic or even get some stage time on a show Monday, Wednesday, Monday through Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And Tuesdays were the best because you can hit two or three comedy clubs in Chicago, crowded rooms, work out newer jokes. So by the weekend, you might have another, you know, if not a full new joke, like new beats from an old joke. Right. That worked out. But now you don't have that. We don't have that luxury, so uh, it's harder. Yeah, it's harder to write. From my style of writing, it's harder. Right. I just think it's hard to write because you don't really have a lot to write about because there's not much life going on. That's true too. And but I also have had a lot of weird experiences that um, if I were to have stage time, if things were opened up, I think I would have. I could get more stuff out there, but I'm still writing them all the premises out. I try to write every day, but it's just, it hasn't been happening. Lately. Yeah. I mean, you, not writing jokes, but I'm writing other stuff too. So. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, do you wish this, because this is something I've always wished. I wish there was like a, a different level of open mic. Like, uh, so when you first start out, four minutes is a long, very long time filling that with actual humor. I mean, people can stammer for yeah. four minutes, but filling it with actual humor is a long time. So four or five minutes is a normal open mic. Uh, and then getting to that 10 minute mark is something that you can only really get to if you like maybe get a guest spot or you're on a showcase with a lot of comics or something like that. So I almost wish that there was like a um a five a 10 and a 15 minute open mic available but i i know it's not something that you could actually pull off but it's hard to put together 20 minutes when you're only doing five at a time it's hard to get the transitions and the tags right yeah i mean the 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 shows that i was talking about they were they weren't open mics but they were like you know, there was an unspoken rule that if you're, depending on where you're on the room, like there'd be 10, like Tuesdays, for example, at Zany's in Rosemont, they have, uh, it's called the Tuesday, Tuesday 10 or 10 Tuesday. Um, the first half of the show was all comedians who are auditioning for Zany's. And the last four or five of us are established comics that we're working out our stuff. And we got, we're all supposed to do six minutes, but sometimes if we wanted longer stuff, they would give it to you. They give mm. you minutes to work out stuff. Um, so that was something similar to what you're talking about, where you get the longer sets. Right. Um, I have found that certain times where you're doing the guest spots, um, you know, I treat those as like a 10 minutes of, okay, I'm going to do like five minutes of old stuff, five minutes of new stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's that. And then with the zoom shows now too, if you're doing like a, corporate gig obviously you're doing your best material mm. and paid a lot of money but if you're doing a show where um it's like a showcase style zoom show 
you know, you're going to, you're work, everyone has worked in the same position. This mm-hmm. is the only stage time we have. So right. we're working out stuff and people seem to understand it and be more um, forgiving. Yeah. So. Well, it, it's almost like they feel like they're, they're on the inside of something, you know, it, it they yeah. almost like they're, they're part of the team. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's a, that, that would be a good feeling for sure. You know, I, I, I like that. And I've had a few people, you know, send me messages, you know, saying, you know, it was really cool watching you work that out and stuff. So that, that, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's not cool enough that I want it to keep going, but, uh, it's still cool. <laughs> when the first time I went back on stage for a real show in June, after three months of not having shows, you catch yourself on stage where you're not, you know, some of the stuff, you know, I, there's a joke where you're like, oh, I was at a wedding this summer. And then you're like, well, you guys know that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> they're, already, they're already behind. And it's also like, it's kind of like a hack move that you didn't mean to do, but you catch yourself being like, well, you know, that's not true. Yeah. And then they're laughing too, because they're like behind the wall. Right. Cause now they know, oh, this guy's been lying to us for the last five years with this joke about something that happened at a wedding last week. Yeah. When we know it's not true. Yeah. You just catch yourself. And then as you start doing more shows, you know, when that part's coming up, you are like, I was at a wedding last summer, you know? Uh, yeah. There were no weddings last week. Yeah. So I actually caught myself. The, the, my opener is, uh, about, looking like Harrison Ford, but a uh, cashier told me I look like an older Harrison Ford. So that's my opener. Cause I get yeah. to talk about myself and how I'm younger than I look. And, um, I did it and I'm like, well, a cashier would never say that because I've got a mask on. I mean, all I can see is my eyes. Oh, yeah, so, right. so I, I yeah. said it and no, nobody called me on it. So, but I thought, yeah, it really doesn't fit here. And, uh, so I'm going to have to say last year I went into a gas yeah. station there's a bunch of that stuff too. Yeah. And then even all the mass stuff or COVID stuff too, it'll be interesting how that changes things too. Cause you know, I, I had a joke about the uh, COVID that was about the first half of COVID. Cause now we're on like the third half or whatever the hell yeah. it is. <laughs> the stuff that was, that we all dealt with the first half of COVID it's already exi- like non-existent. Right. So, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's it's, different changes for the better, or for worse. We gotta, you gotta keep writing. And, yeah, you know that's yeah. what makes you a better comic. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you because you're so ingrained in the Chicago scene. There, I mean, when I talk to people on the coast, you know, New York, L.A., they a lot of them are moving to Chicago. First off. <laughs> They yeah. were, at least they were last year. Um, we were open, yeah. Yeah, because it's, um, Chicago's one of the most talked about scenes as far as comedy is concerned anywhere. So I'm sure it's very competitive and there's a lot of people trying to get stage time and you're already established because you've been doing it long enough. You've already got your contacts and stuff like that. Say, let's pretend that I am... Uh, a pretty good feature. I'm a good enough feature and I can, I can give you a strong half hour and I'm 25 years old and um, I'm just moving to Chicago. What advice would you give somebody that is coming into such a densely populated comedy scene um, and 
trying to succeed, trying to get some of that stage time? Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, it was uh, definitely a lot of people were moving here for a while when we were opened up. Um, I, I, I would just say, just get up as much as you can. And people, if you're good, if you're, if you're doing something that's unique or that the clubs are going to need, you're going to get booked. Um, but even if you don't get booked at the traditional comedy clubs, there's shows here every night. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I mean, hopefully they all come back or most of them come back. Some of them may not, but you know, if you, if you work hard and you're, and you're nice to people, I think you're, you're gonna, you're gonna do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to work hard and, and, you know, they say networking or hanging out at the clubs helps. I, I, I never, you know, I, I, I'm not a big drinker anymore. Mm. So I don't really like to go out and get drunk on a weekday with those people. Although that helps. Um, <laughs> I think that's all you can do is just do your shows and do your sets and people will, will book you on shows. Even from being in Florida, I was in Florida for a couple of weeks and I did as many shows as I could. And I got opportunities just by, you know, performing and mm. doing, I think people will know if you're in your hypothetical, you're a 25 year old kid who's, you know, you're, you're writing consistently and you're, you're a good feature. That's people are going to need that. There's mm. going to be a role for you here. I mean, it is getting crowded. There are a lot of people that are looking for the same spot. So it is frustrating. Uh, I have noticed that uh, even the amount of shows that I'm getting booked on or I used to get booked on is a lot harder for me. Um, so it's kind of funny because it used to be when I'm in town, it'd be really easy to get a show, mm-hmm. but now I have to like plan ahead. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to be in town for, you know, two weeks. Can I please, you know, I, I it used to be like, it would be easier for me to get on a show, but now it's not as easy. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's all I can say is I think there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, and if you don't get, shows make your own show make your own opportunities yeah um that's what i did that's what um we were we were making our own shows from based on our success with the uh, open mic and then um people started to notice us Mm. and uh as producers and we were able to generate crowds i mean it's all about crowds if you can bring a crowd if you have a draw people are gonna book too I feel like that the business, especially if you own a club, if you, if you own a club that's dedicated to comedy, um, it's gone completely to your merit as a comedian rather than who you know and, uh, yeah. you know, all the elbow rubbing and stuff like that. You know, it's, it, they need butts and seats, so they need somebody funny up there. Well, that's there's two parts to that. There's obviously like the – comedians who are just funny but they just don't have a social media presence Mm -hmm. those are you know it's hard for those kind of comics because they're probably some of the funniest some of my funniest friends are headliners and uh they don't sell out rooms in you know certain cities Mm -hmm. but they're everyone knows who they are everyone knows they crush but there's also the internet sensations who you know have maybe 20 minutes of 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 jokes, but they're selling out, you know, Wednesday night at Zane's yeah. or whatever. But they, you know, uh, Roy Wood Jr. had it. He talked about it on, I think, Joe Rogan's podcast where comedians were crapping on these guys, but they're the ones that are keeping the clubs open right now. You know, right. those sensations. Uh, 
and the clubs are doing a good job of, of booking them. And to be fair, like that's how I got booked on a lot of shows too. I wasn't an internet sensation, but there's certain markets where I had a draw mm-hmm. and clubs would let me headline on a, you know, weeknight. Mm-hmm. And then from there I feature on the weekend or end up working eventually as a headliner at that club. So there's, there's that aspect of it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's all about getting butts in the seats and then there's people that can do it, you know, without being funny. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. It's just, it's just the market. It's, it's a market that's generate. It's comedy is just one of those weird things that it'll be interesting to see how, how we react to COVID yeah. because it's the only fields where we need live audiences bunched together. You yeah. Know, I'm, I was a musician. You don't, Yes, concerts, you need to have a crowd, but you don't need to have a crowd to do your art. Right. Musicians can play online. They can play, you know, in a studio. Of course, concerts are, the energy is there, but comedians can't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can, but it's not, it's definitely different watching, you know, a live streaming Laugh Factory show on Instagram. Yeah. Where they don't have anyone in the crowd. You don't hear any laughs. Yeah. Even though the guy is hilarious on stage yeah. or or the the comedian on stage is just crushing no one's laughing at her or him it's just kind of one of those things yeah but it'll be interesting yeah yeah it's a it's definitely a new game because the the youtubers and the tiktokers and all that kind of stuff they're i mean they're doing their thing so it's always i think it's going to be a part of it going forward and oh, it's absolutely. going to morph into other other stuff too but uh you know like you said if they're keeping the art going then let them do it yeah i mean those guys the, those people that those internet guys or girls who are doing those shows if they if they're helping the club stay open you know let them do it they're yeah. Those kind of shows, I think Roy Wood Jr. said it best, was like gives the opportunities for those clubs to book and develop headliners who maybe don't have that social media draw, but they are hilarious. Right. And you go to a show or you you book them on a weekend, uh, everyone that leaves that club is going to come back to Laugh Factory or Zany's or Wiley's, wherever, mm. whatever club it is, because that guy was hilarious. Right. Or right. a girl. So everybody, almost everybody that's a comedian has a podcast now, but you've been doing the podcasting for a while. What got you started in the podcast biz? So Singles Only was my first podcast. I did that initially uh, to promote a show I had at the Laugh Factory called Singles Only, Mm. which is Drink Day Laugh, a show about dating. And Jamie Masada, the owner of the Laugh Factory, was pushing me to have a podcast. I was against it. Mm-hmm. Um, or not against it, but not excited about it at all. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, it's, 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 there's no more singles only show. It's a different show, yeah. but the podcast is still, you know, we just recorded 200, I don't know, 240 episodes, something like that. So 230 some episodes. Yeah. I think I, the last one I saw was like 238. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we just recorded the ones that are coming out and it's just like, it's insane. It's, it's, it took off and I've learned a lot from it and I've enjoyed it. It's, it's developed my ability to, to, to interview people, which I love doing. Mm-hmm. And so 
that one was it just kind of took off and i and i and it's opened a lot of doors for me and, and other opportunities and then um make us a mixtape we started just over a year ago marty de rosa and i marty de rosa has been in the podcast game he did wrestling with depression which was super popular yeah. and now he has marty and sarah loves wrestling and we kind of he's like the god if if there's a chicago <laughs> podcast uh mount rushmore he's definitely on there yeah um so you know we started our make us a mixtape podcast just because we both love to talk about music and come from different backgrounds mm. uh yeah that one's just kind of been like kind of like uh for fun and that's kind of t- it's kind of taken its own it's kind of fun not caring about like singles podcast is work now for me because obviously i have sponsors yeah i have, I have to keep it going and make us a mixtape is just kind of fun and you know we try to keep it we, our weekly check-in talk about whatever we're on our mind about music having our friends on and make mixtapes everyone you know makes mixtapes whether it's cassettes cds or kids making playlists now so. yeah i actually make playlists for my friends all the time and yeah i, I ask them what kind of music because i'm i like a lot of music so i always try to find the bands that they've never heard of and put yeah. them on and so i i love doing it yeah well, when we open up, we'll have you as a guest. We're gonna we're gonna hopefully have guests again soon. So oh, cool, make cool. Make it, make it That's all you gotta do. Yeah, great. Well, I, I can do that. <laughs> any any topic, just be ready to talk about them. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, so you came up with a um, a cool thing. I mean, being an attorney, you came up with a cool thing to do on stage um, that was called every everyone's a lawyer. Yeah. And there was, there's a couple of those on YouTube and I, I watched those. Where did that idea come from? Cause that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another one of those things where, uh, I was told, to I was created, I created the show singles only, uh, in drink day laugh, which then became drink day laugh, a show about dating and interactive show hmm. where I hosted. And, uh, we were pitching that to network and the producers came back to me and said, they liked me as a host, but they didn't think the show could work. And they said, create another show about something, you know, and I know the law. So yeah. what I did was, uh, I love game shows. I love, uh, I love competition. Even when I did my open mic, I made it a competition. So, uh, I came up with the idea of comedians who I, a lot of comedians would come up to me and ask me stuff when I was, a, when I was practicing full time. And even this today, they, they'll say stuff. And it was just funny to see these comedians who I, you know, had such, uh, so like, so funny and so smart, not really know what lawyers do. Yeah. Or people would talk about the law on Facebook and you're just like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then I was like, it came to me like to have a show where I had comedians interpreting things that are happening with the law or and sometimes politics uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny because all it shows the different styles of comedians and how they approach uh you know things like the law things about crazy rules that have happened or crazy cases um or defending people that are impossible to defend you know yeah who, who better to explain to us you know why uh you know donald trump's muslim ban should be legal yeah than yeah a muslim comedian right you know yeah. I mean, that's, 
th those are the kind of situations that we like to talk about things that are uncomfortable about the law or uh situation and and it's it's been so fun it, it the hardest part about that show for me as a host is sometimes i'm watching and forgetting that i have to run a show because the contestants are so funny yeah 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 i saw that and i thought that was a great idea and you know another way to do comedy and yet have it be different enough that it brings people in yeah we we're pitching that right now to network i was on the process of that before covid where we we had some meetings we had to wait and see how it's going to go without a live audience but yeah that's that's a cool thing i i like to ask this question of just about everybody and i don't I don't ask you to name names or anything like that, but what's the best and worst piece of advice you got coming up? Oh man. Uh, best advice I got was, um, actually I'll say Tom Dreesen gave me a lot of great advice on hosting, how to run, how to be a good host. Mm. Uh, there were like three rules he gave me that I still share with people. Um, that was probably one of the best of a lot of bookers gave me great advice about running a show and hosting a show, which would be um, Tom and uh, the other people that told me it was just like, do some crowd work, see where, where everyone's at, find out where the birthdays, where people are from, and then move on. Always end on a joke. Mm -hmm. Don't end on crowd work. Um, those are like kind of the best advices I got as a, as a, um, on how to be a good host. Um, keep the show going, obviously, if things are going well. Uh, if a comedian does well, keep the show going. If a comedian ends rough, bring the crowd back. Mm -hmm. If the guy is too like does too well, bring the crowd back down to normal for the next comedian. Yeah, They're all like good advice things that I still pass on to people unsolicited sometimes. Uh -huh. um, I, I love watching hosts uh, – because that's that's an art form, I think that uh, that doesn't get enough credit. It's a, uh -huh. it's a job. Um, bad advice. Uh, shoot, I can't really think of any bad advice that stuck stuck with me. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember any bad advice. I think if I had bad advice, I don't remember it. Uh -huh. <laughs> you you came. You came up on something that I talked to a lot of comics about, and um, I talked to people who are uh, have worked a lot in the headliner area and the feature area. And when you're headlining, do you expect your feature to give it everything they've got um, and try to be better than you, or yes. do you want them to stay in their lane? Uh Yes. Before I answer that, I did think of bad, bad advice I got from people was to not worry about social media. Oh, okay. Which, which <laughs> is crazy. Uh, but it's to answer your other question. Um, yeah, I always, when I can bring my own feature, I always bring a comedian who I think will make it impossible for like to keep up. Mm. So the comedians that I've had open for me now um, on, on at comedy clubs, two of them have already been and just for laughs uh one of them just won some huge contest uh -huh. uh, and those are people that i brought as features to clubs and uh and then they were always very thankful to me and i always said when you're huge 
don't forget me. I want to come and open for you. Yeah. That's how I feature. Uh-huh. Yeah. I always want them to crush. I always want, I always want to pick someone that, or have someone that does a great job. Right. Right. That's funny. A lot of the um, more old school, and I don't want to say old school um, as old as Dreesen, but I'm talking like late eighties, early nineties, they expected the feature to stay in their lane. You can only bring them to yeah. here. And, and I've heard that a lot. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard from a few comedians that did really well opening for bigger names. A lot of my friends, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they weren't the opener anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it happens more than you, more than you would expect. Right. Yeah. And that uh, it's, it's funny. I, so, some of the ones that I talk, talk to and say they want the feature to really bring it and really push the boundaries and make it tough for them. Those are the ones that they they've got a more unique act, and they don't really they don't really care um, who goes on before them because they're doing their thing anyway. So yeah, it, yeah it's it's funny how that works. But uh, I just uh, it would be it would be difficult for me if I was featuring if somebody told me to stay in my lane and not give it my all. I uh, I've had the pleasure of being on tour with a lot of bigger names. And I always thought that they were picking me because I was an easy follow. So I used to say that uh-huh. all the time. Like, I'm like, Oh yeah. Everyone's like, they're like, Oh, I heard you're, you're opening for, you know, Dimitri Martin. I'm like, yeah, it's because, because I'm an easy follow. But yeah. that's not, I mean, I feel like certain comedians ask me to open because I think I have a different style than them. Uh-huh. But they don't like my, I like to think that it's because I'm good, but we don't yeah. know. <laughs> It's because you're good. Come on. Um, the last thing I like to talk about is, uh, and I, I always put this in threes for some reason, what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? Three things that I wish I wish I knew back then. Um, I wish I started uh, when I was younger. I wish I started younger, and I also wish that I was recording all my sets from beginning. Mm. That's the biggest advice I think. And listening to my stuff, that's the hardest part. Um, so recording stuff, starting earlier and getting up more. Mm. Um, I was getting up uh, more back then. Cause there were, when I first started, I was only getting up once or twice a week, even though there was an opportunity to go up all the time. Mm. So that's the one thing. And then I, and then I would also say, uh, to, to enjoy the moment, enjoy it more and, uh, appreciate the process. I Mm. think people say that all the time, but you don't realize it until you're going in, you know, there's no, the one thing about comedy, there's no skipping, there's no skipping in line. Like everyone has to pay their dues. Some people move faster. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the things that I think I wish I did and, you know, be more patient, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny about recording because no matter how in the moment you are up when you're on stage, you miss things that, that are laughs and you sometimes it's, it, it's two sides of the coin. First of all, you think a joke you did completely bombed when it did. Okay. You just need to do it better. And then you also think something totally killed, and it was really only those people up front that were laughing. People laughing, yeah. Laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I think that the way I write, especially, 
like I never realized um, for the first few years, like the only reason certain things I remembered it is because someone had recorded the show. And I right. was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Ever. So that's such a crucial part of the process for me or for anyone that writes on stage or you just, you have that ability to see immediate feedback of mm. what something is. And, uh, you know, if, if it, if it, or positive or negative, if it, if it works three times, it's a bit, if, if yeah. it comes three times, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah. So I got to say that I know you're doing Zoom comedy because you are looking in the camera and uh that that's something I'm still having trouble with. <laughs> yeah, it took a while to figure that out. But I'll probably do the Zoom podcast now too, so. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I still I you know, I put you over here so you're close to where the camera is, but I'm still looking at you instead of the camera like you're sitting across from me, but it, I'm working on it, but it it's tough. It's uh it's like I mean, when you're when you're doing it live, you're you're trying to pan the audience and stuff like sure. that, and you just can't do that. You gotta look right yeah. in that stupid camera, that little tiny yeah. hole. Yeah. <laughs> Story of our lives. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Um, where can people find you if they want to find all your stuff? Uh, my Instagram is Paul Farvar. Uh, my name uh, F A R A H V A R. Or on YouTube, it's just youtube.com backslash Paul F Comedy. Those are the, pretty much the best places to find me or my website, Paul F comedy as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I found, all, I think I found all your stuff from there. So that, uh, oh, yeah. that's a good hub. Yeah. My website has all my links to everything. Paul F comedy.com. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, if you try to spell my name wrong, you'll most of the time we will be like, did you mean this? So, yeah. <laughs> that's the luck of, of doing social media for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well, this has been great. I, uh, I learned, I learned a lot and I'm glad we got to connect and, uh, you know, I have to tell the audience that I ghosted you for a while, but, uh, uh, that's just because you know, those Facebook messages just get yeah. stacked up and you can't, you forget to go back. And I went yeah. back one day and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally stood you up. That's okay. No, I think you, you reached out to me and I was like, sure. What are the details? And then, uh, and then I got busy too, so it all worked out. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Scott.